0: Optimal minimum. At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before
1: my hands start shaking. Can I ask you a personal question?
0: Now what is the time? What if I did the
2: opposite?
1: I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over a metal endoskeleton. Me, Tim,
3: This episode is brought to you by 99designs. 99designs is a great partner for creating and growing your business. It's a one-stop shop for all of your graphic design needs, whether that's a logo, website, business card, or anything else. I use 99designs to get book cover prototypes for the four-hour body, which went on to become a number one New York Times bestseller. I also use them for banner ads, illustrations, and other things. With 99designs, designers around the world compete to create the best design for you. You give feedback and then pick your favorite. You end up happy or you get your money back. It's very simple. You can check out a few of my own designs and those of yours, meaning Tim Ferriss show listeners at 99designs.com forward slash Tim. And right now my listeners, you guys will get a free $99 upgrade on your first design. That's 99designs.com forward slash Tim. Check it out. This episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic. I reached out to these Finnish entrepreneurs after a very talented acrobat introduced me to one of their products, which blew my mind in the best way possible. It is Mushroom Coffee. What on earth is this? Well, it includes chaga mushroom, very powerful antioxidant, considered a superfood. I was introduced to chaga by Laird Hamilton, the king of big wave surfing of all things. And it includes another mushroom that is considered a no-tropic, a smart drug, and this is lion's mane. In the entire packet, you just add it to hot water, tastes like coffee. There is only 40 milligrams of caffeine, so less than half What you would find in a cup of coffee. So I do not get any jitters. I do not get any acid reflux or any type of stomach burn. And it put me on fire for an entire day. And I only had half of the packet. So this stuff is really amazing. People are always asking me what I use for cognitive enhancement. Right now, this is the answer. So it is legal. It will not give you visuals. That's something else. And you can try it right now. By going to Forsigmatic.com forward slash Tim. That is foursigmatic, S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C. S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C Forsigmatic.com forward slash Tim and use the code Tim to get 20% off your first order. If you are in the experimental mindset, I do not think you'll be disappointed. Forsigmatic.com forward slash Tim. Hello boys and girls, Tim Ferriss here and welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show, where it is always my job to deconstruct world-class performers to tease out the habits, routines, tactics, breakfasts, or lack thereof, that you can then emulate, apply to your own life, test yourself, favorite books, whatever it might be. This particular episode... I am going to try to do one better. I'm excited to bring you a little sample, a taste test of a new show format that I'm working on. And this isn't going to displace the other, it would just complement it. And I'm calling it, for lack of a better name, for the time being, the Tim Ferriss Radio Hour. And you'll see where this is going. After nearly 200 conversations with world-class performers... All over the map, including people like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jamie Foxx, Tony Robbins, Maria Popova, Peter Thiel, Mark Andreessen, Amanda Palmer, Malcolm Gladwell, Rick Rubin, Reed Hoffman, and so many more. You start to spot patterns, or at least when I'm reviewing all of the transcripts, I spot patterns. Sometimes they're months apart, but these are the shared habits, philosophies, tools, and more that are the common thread or the common threads. And this is the premise, of course, of my new book, Tools of Titans, which is a compilation of all of my favorite patterns, all of my favorite routines. You can check that out everywhere. But that's also where the Tim Ferriss Radio Hour comes in. In each episode, we'll take a deep dive into one specific topic or tactic, bringing together the collective genius of past guests to help you, hopefully, become world-class in your own right, if you aren't already. At the very least, it will give you a common thread, as I mentioned, with slight tweaks here and there that you can Customize an effect to your idiosyncrasies to your own personality or you can blend them together and today in This sneak peek episode we will be exploring meditation meditation or practicing mindfulness is by far the most common pattern across them all. In this episode, I ask, for instance, Chase Jarvis to explain his top priorities for feeling fulfilled. I have found a sort of a new passion for
2: sleep. I can't ever, not, not never, but I rarely get the 8, 9, 10.
3: I talk TM, that's transcendental Meditation, with the Terminator, the Governator, Arnold Schwarzenegger.
1: And I would say within um, 14 days, three weeks, I got to the point where I really could disconnect my mind and also learn how to focus more and to calm down.
3: I cover a wide spectrum with Sam Harris and talk about everything or ask him about everything from hallucinogens to meditation techniques.
4: The unique power of psychedelics is that they are guaranteed to work in some way. And then I wrap up with
3: Rain Wilson discussing how to handle life when you feel overwhelmed and we all end up at points feeling overwhelmed or at the very least unclear. It was the key for me as an actor that kind of broke me open and got me out of my head and just got
0: me in my body and in that place of kind of pure imagination and spontaneity that you really want as an actor.
3: We start our deep dive on meditation with Chase Jarvis, CEO of Creative Live, which is an online learning platform that broadcasts live, of course, high-definition classes to more than 10 million students in 200-plus countries. Chase was also the youngest person ever to be named a Hasselblad Master, Nikon Master, and ASMP Master. He is photographed for Nike, Apple, Columbia Sportswear, REA, Honda, Subaru, Polaroid, Lady Gaga, Red Bull, and Many more. He's one of the most successful commercial photographers on the planet. So, without further ado, let's jump into the first episode of the Tim Ferriss Radio Hour. Enjoy. What do you feel have become your top priorities in feeling happy or fulfilled? Like, what are the things as you wow. become wiser that you've learned to prize more or prize less? Health.
2: Mm. Yeah. One's health and being active is incredibly valuable. Yeah. And these are, I feel like an old person saying this next one, which is sleep. I have lived on four to six hours sleep for the last 10 years. Yeah. So just prioritizing sleep. Yeah. And the third one is meditation. Mm. Meditation. Oh yes, we we haven't yes. talked about this in a
3: while. Uh huh. You
2: were on it for a good bit. you said you fell off the wagon. I was. I fell off on. the
3: wagon. But yeah, you are you are one of of two people that I credit with finally kind of kicking me in the ass to take it, it seriously. It um, has. It has really. Yeah, been specifically TM. Mm-hmm. So transcendental meditation for those who don't know, or trademark. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's you know I have Ding. my issues with almost every form of meditation, there are pros and cons. We talked sure. about them before, but yeah. uh, tell me about so tell me about your meditation practice. And my
2: meditation practice is not perfect and none none are. Yeah. Uh I just sit down between fifteen and twenty minutes twice a day. Sometimes yeah. I only get one time a day. Yeah. Sometimes those are a little compressed or they don't you know shit happens or you're on an airplane and the yeah. captain comes on and pulls you out of it or whatever. Like yeah. but I make a conscious effort to just observe my thoughts and practice TM in the morning, and the evening, before yeah. dinner, and it has made—it's—it's it's sort of the analogy that I can, you know, most simply put here on, on your show is, it's when you're in the zone, say playing sports or playing music, right. and things just seem effortless.
3: Yeah,
2: it's called a flow state. Stephen Kotler's new book, which is a good book, The Rise of Superman. Check that out. Yeah. A little plug for his book about creativity and flow states that sense of flow, it's when things sort of happen in slow motion, now you're not literally talking in slow motion, but you have the same clarity as if yeah. you're going through life and everything's happening in slow motion. Instead of that, I'm hyper-caffeinated, my boss is- I'm agitated, you know, yeah, I'm, and reactive, agitated, I'm yeah. dodging bullets. Yeah, he's, yeah. Eh. instead you're just like, I, I'm driving the bus here, yeah. and we're gonna go here, and then I'm gonna do this, and there's just certain clarity yeah. that, uh, and it's 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 like magic. It's really weird. And it's there's another thing. I don't know if you felt this, Tim, but it sort of aggregates. So you get good benefit from one, two, three, four. And then when you're on a good on a roll there's this sort of exponential, there's a little overdrive yeah. that it's like, oh my gosh, I feel yeah. like I'm just floating.
3: Yeah, I can't explain it either, but mm-hmm. for me, and d- just for those people who might be thinking like I did for my entire life, like, bullshit! Bullshit! Mm-hmm. No, just like, I don't want people oming me and freaking yeah. you know, all this, uh, yeah, 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 chakra, whatever, like, I'm not into it. Yeah. Uh, especially living in San Francisco, I've developed sort of right. an allergy to, like, <laughs> sanctimonious, and I've been sure. to Burning Man, but, like, sanctimonious burner types who yeah. like want to lecture me about chakras, I'm just like, honestly, please, I can't handle another Minute of this, so I've had this aversion to meditation, but when it's very sort of uh, non-dogmatic, yeah, where it's just like, look, you're not trying to control anything, you're not trying to think of a candle flame, like just observe your thoughts and be okay with them, yeah, and sit with good posture for this period of time. That's yeah. it. And even if you think it's a shitty job and you're like running through your to-do list or thinking of the stock market, that's okay. Just make it part of your routine. Yeah. And what I found was. Uh, and some people who, well-known people who do TM, I mean, it's like Paul McCartney, Ariana Huffington. David um, Lynch. David Lynch. I'm blanking on his name uh, for some reason, but Bridgewater Capital, largest hedge fund in, if not the world, the United States. 100 Russell mi- 100, Simmons. 100 billion plus. Ray Dalio, that's it. Russell Simmons. So the, the, the list un- is, is the, I think, like Howard Stern. I mean, it's Yeah, like the list is pretty crazy. amazing. Yeah, it's, Seinfeld. It's, yeah. And the... The the physiological or psychological effects are so fascinating, like you said, because you'll do it for a couple days and you're like, man, like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then you hit this, <laughs> like, you hit this sort of inflection point where suddenly you, you just drop from like 200 RPMs to 150 and you're like, yep. whoa, okay, this is different. And then yep. the whole week you're kind of zenned out. Yep. And then after, say, a four-week period, and I did my first retreat uh, a few months ago before I, I volunteered for the masochism that is television production. <laughs> Uh, I can just hit you with a stick yeah if you could just like yeah if you could put a nail through it first uh, that'd be sure. great uh, but uh really had this tremendous effect on me um that oddly enough and maybe this is getting too out there for some people but very similar to my experiences uh post relatively high dose hallucinogens yeah this like extended period of calm grace and or, ease yeah. ease in yeah. decision making yep like uncluttered, like yeah. you closed every browser on your computer and turned off the antivirus and rebooted the whole thing. Yeah. That type of feeling. Yep. Uh, so I've I did fall off the training. Question for you, because I find the the morning session I usually find pretty easy. Yep. Afternoon is afternoon. hard. Afternoon. I'm like, right now thinking of, okay,
2: I gotta go from here to the thing to the thing and when when will I get my thing in. Like yeah. oh. Shit. Yeah. yeah
3: sometimes so, I'll try to do
2: it in a car. Yeah. Like Uber or band. whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but do you uh, when do you typically do it in the afternoon? Curious. I try and do it before dinner sometime. Okay. Between right. between work and dinner. Yeah. Uh, we're entrepreneurs. We work it's tough. crazy yeah. long hours. Um, so I'll take it whenever I can get it. Uh, and it's usually a little bit more, a little bit less gracious than my morning one. Like you yeah. said, it's sort of like morning. It's like, it's your time. You cry about 20 minutes. So my afternoon one is often a little bit more piecemeal. But again, it's the act. I try not to judge the practice, the practice is the practice.
3: Yeah. So. Are you, uh, when you meditate, are you sitting cross-legged? Are you sitting with your feet?
2: I try and sit in a comfortable chair, flat on the floor, hands on my lap. Yeah. Okay. And, There's a mantra that if you, you know, learn sort of TM, you're given a mantra and say that word over and over and if some thoughts come in, they're like, oh, there's those thoughts. Bye. And they go away and you just keep doing it over again. And then, sometimes like, oh my God, that was 25 minutes. And, Sometimes it's like, oh my God, that was one minute. It felt like a week. <laughs> like a week. And again, but just not not yeah. judging that. And it's without you know continuing to talk about it because now it's getting weird because yeah. we're talking about it so much.
4: Yeah.
2: But it's just a power. It's a powerful tool that is so simple. I'm just mind building <laughs> while you're yeah. talking. It's right great. Now. I'm, you're meditating. You're yeah. staring off. I have been listening to you. For the 20, listening people, twenty out minutes. There. I've not been. Tim listening to you. is staring into space right now. He's not paying attention to us.
3: <laughs> okay. So let's let's. Um, that is, a, I think, a huge takeaway for people. It doesn't have to be TM, it could be Vipassana, it could be just anything, sure. building in a pause, yeah. which is like a warm bath for your brain, even if it's 10 minutes a day, so that you're not in a reactive mode. It's really a game changer. Uh, and physiologically, it had a lot of effects for me as well. Oh, yeah, so that's, like when my cortisol level dropped, I was able to lose body fat more easily in my abdomen, for mm-hmm. instance. Uh, really, I became very sensitive to alcohol and caffeine. So I dropped it, but they dropped them both significantly. Not because I was yeah. getting judgmental about it, because I was oversensitized to it. Yeah. I'd grown immune to the effects, so I could have like six cups of coffee a day, I'd be like, eh. and then did did uh, met TM for four or five weeks, and it was like I had one cup, and I'm like, wow, wow, I didn't realize what my baseline was. Yep. Uh, so so just maybe to term makes wrap, you a cheap date too, by the way. I've always been a cheap date. <laughs> <laughs> so with that. I thought you might like to know about some of my current meditation routines or how I'm incorporating mindfulness into my day. First and foremost, upon waking, there are a few things that I do. I get up, generally take a cold shower, do some Wim Hof breathing, which is a whole separate podcast, and make my bed, etc. I have my five things that I do in the morning. There's a separate episode on this. But the meditation comes in right after I've set the kettle to Boil some water or get it to 185 for tea. I sit down, I do 21 minutes of transcendental meditation, although I should say 21 minutes of meditation. The first minute is really just to allow myself to fidget and get settled. I'm sitting on the couch uh, in a effectively half lotus position. I don't think that's necessary at all. You could sit with your feet on the floor. I just happen to be comfortable that way. And for the first few minutes, I'm actually mimicking the format of Headspace, the app, in many ways. I'm Really focusing on what is happening already, the sensations of, say, my legs against the couch, the feeling of my breathing, and uh, you, you could look at it as a form in some sense of Vipassana meditation. Then I segue into the mantra-based TM. That is simply what I've found to work well for me. And oddly enough, it seems that a high percentage of men gravitate ultimately towards TM, high percentage of women gravitate towards Vipassana. That is not true across the board at all. Sam Harris, for instance, uh, practices a number of types of meditation, none of which are TM. Now, another guest who I asked about meditation was Arnold Schwarzenegger, the 30th governor of California, seven time, Mr. Olympia, and something perhaps a lot of people don't know. He was a golden globe winner in 1976 for his role in stay hungry with Jeff bridges and Sally field. He has done everything. He's reinvented himself over and over again. And the other place that you might find mindfulness in my life is where Arnold also has it, and that is in the gym. If we're trying to cultivate present state awareness and less reactivity, you don't have to sit down and think of a mantra to do it. There are multiple ways. So, that all having been said, here we go, delving into meditation with none other than Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) I've heard you mention transcendental
1: meditation in passing, briefly. Do you meditate? Um, I don't meditate now, but I uh, got heavily into it in the 70s. And I remember there was a time in my life where I felt like everything is just kind of coming together, and I did not find a way or couldn't find a way of keeping the things separate. So it was always when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about it at the same time my bodybuilding career i was thinking about my movie career i was thinking about the documentary pumping out that we're shooting right now and the movie stay hungry that we just finished shooting and the my investment in the apartment building and is this gonna do i get the financing from the bank and all of this kind of stuff was always coming together and at the same time i was training for the mr olympia competition in south africa And I was training right here at Gorge Gym. And I remember there was all the camera equipment around five hours a day in my face. And then someone in the middle of squatting was trying to change the battery pack (laughs) on my my lifting belt and all this stuff. So I was like, uh, you know, eventually I felt like I got to do something about it because I have such great opportunities here. And everything is happening. And everything is going my way but I'm just clustering everything into one big problem rather than separating it out and having calm and peace and and being happy. And so I, but total, you know, coincidence, I ran into this guy that I've run into many times on the beach, very, very pleasant man, who uh, told me that he is a teacher in Transcendental Meditation. And I said, well, it's interesting you mention it, because I feel like I should do something because I feel like, you know, I'm just overly worried and anxieties and all this stuff. Uh, and I feel like certain pressures that I've never felt before. And he says, oh, says Arnold, it's not uncommon. It's very common. A lot of people go through this. This is why people use meditation, transcendental meditation, as one way of dealing with the problem. And he was very good in selling it. Because... He didn't say it's the only answer. He just is one of many, and he says, "Why don't you try it?" He says, "I'm a teacher there, up in Westwood. I would not be able to teach you since we have a friend, we have we have friends and many he says, There will be another teacher there They will give you a mantra and blah 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 and teach you how to do it, and then I can help you after that." Uh, he says because I will be teaching up there. So why don't you come up on Thursday and I will be there? I will introduce you to the folks up there and so. Then I went up there. Took uh, a class, uh, and I went home after that and that then tried it. I said to myself, I got to give it a shot. And I did 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes at night. And I would say within, um, 14 days, three weeks, I got to the point where I really could disconnect my mind. And, uh, as they say, to find this few seconds of disconnection and rejuvenate the, 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 the mind and, um, and also learn how to focus more and to calm down. And uh, I did that for, and I saw the effect right away that I was much more calm about all of the challenges that were facing me, and um, I continued doing that then for a year. And by that time, I felt like, I think that I've mastered this. I think that now I don't feel overwhelmed anymore. Uh, And I really felt kind of it was one of the things where uh, you know, transcendental meditation was kind of anxiety and pressure meeting around the corner, tranquility. You know, this is kind of what it, what it felt. And um, and uh, so I was happy from that point. And even today, I still benefit from that because I don't merge and bring things together and see everything as one big problem. I take on one challenge at a time. And when I go and I study my script for a movie, then that time, that day, when I study my script for a movie, I don't let anything else interfere in that, and I just concentrate on that. So, and the the the, the other thing that I've learned is that there's many forms of meditation, in a way, because like when I study and I work really hard, where it takes the ultimate amount of concentration, I can only do it for forty-five minutes. Maybe. Maybe an hour. But then I have to kind of run off and maybe play chess. And I play chess for 15 minutes and then I can go back and I have all the energy in the world again and jump right back and then continue on with my work as as if I've not done it at all today, right? It's like I'm fresh. And so that's another way I think of meditation. And then I also figured out that I could use my workouts as a form of meditation because I concentrate so much on the muscle and I have my mind inside the bicep when I do my curls. I have my mind inside the pectoral muscles when I do my bench press. So I'm really inside and it's like, again, a form of meditation because (laughs) you have no chance of thinking or concentrating on anything else at that time but just that training that you do. And uh, so there's many ways of meditation and I benefit from all of those and I'm today much calmer because of that, and much more organized and uh, much more tranquil because of that.
3: This whole conversation makes me want to go tackle the world. I love it. Next, I want to reintroduce one of my most popular and controversial guests, Sam Harris. He is brilliant. Sam is a PhD in neuroscience and the author of many best selling books, including The End of Faith, Free Will, Lying, and Waking Up. Our first conversation on this podcast explored science, different types of meditation, and the uses and risks of psychedelics, among many other things. And that conversation included segments such as this. There, there's a quote here that is, quote, there's nothing irrational about seeking the states of mind that lie at the core of many religions. Compassion, awe, devotion, feelings of oneness are surely among the most valuable experiences a person can have, end quote. Assuming that's true, and you and I have, of course, talked about altered states, and you've written about altered states, I'd love to just dig into that expression, or that quote, rather, and look at the alternate approaches uh, that you've perhaps explored or researched related to achieving some of these valuable states.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So so in the beginning of, of my career, as, as you point out, I, I spent a lot of time Criticizing religion and it's criticizing it for its its obvious harms and uh, but one of its one of its harms that's not so obvious is that it keeps us talking about this positive end of human experience the the self transcendence and and uh, uh, highly normative states of consciousness uh, in first century or seventh century terms and and most people most of the time think that you have, the only way to capture, quote, spiritual experience and, and one's interest in it and the ways in which one would, would explore it is to, to some degree, indulge the, the misintoxicated myth, the language of uh, the Iron Age. Uh, there's just no way to talk about it otherwise. Science hasn't given us the tools to talk about it. Secular culture doesn't give us the tools to talk about it. And so we're left talking about being Christians and Muslims and Jews and Buddhists and And organize our lives around those 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 really incompatible the, the incompatible truth claims and doctrines that that you find in those religions uh, and people very smart people who are secular in every other way think there's just no there's no alternative to that and so one of my main interests now is in articulating an alternative because clearly there are extraordinary experiences that people have, and many of these experiences do lie at the core of of m- many of our religions. And so you mean know, to take Jesus as an obvious example and you know, who who knows who Jesus actually was and, and you know what what is historically true in the in the New Testament but let's just say for argument's sake that that he, there really was a guy who loved his neighbor as himself and had this extraordinarily charismatic effect on the people around him and bore witness to this possibility of of a kind of radical self-transcendence well that Clearly, that whatever's true there is deeper than Christianity, and it's not—it's it's not reducible to Christianity. In fact, Christianity has to be a distortion of that truth because—and we know this because Jesus isn't the only person who's had that experience. There's the, there's the Buddha and the, the countless contemplatives through the ages have had can attest to this experience of. Uh, for lack of a better phrase unconditional love, and that has some relationship to what I would call self transcendence which is, which I think is even more important uh, and so there's there's this phenomenon that's clearly deeper than any of our uh, provincial ways of talking about it in the context of religion uh, and, and so there's a, a deeper truth of of human psychology and uh, the nature of consciousness and and I think we need to explore it in terms that don't require that we lie to ourselves or to our children about the nature of reality and that we don't indulge this divisive language of, of picking teams in the religious, uh, in the, in the contest among religions. Uh, so yeah, my, my next book that's coming out in the fall is called, uh, waking up a guide to spirituality without religion. And it's, it's about the phenomenon of self-transcendence and the ways in which people can explore it without, Believing anything on insufficient evidence, and, and one of the principal ways is is through various techniques of meditation, uh, mindfulness being the the uh, I think the most useful uh, uh, one to adopt first. They, you know, there's also the use of psychedelic drugs, which which is not quite the same as as meditation, but it does uh, if if nothing else reveals that that. The human nervous system is is plastic in a, in a, a very uh, important way, which means you you can your your experience of the world can be radically transformed. You you are tending to be who you were yesterday by virtue of various habit patterns and uh, physiological homeostasis and and uh, other things that are that are keeping you um, uh, very recognizable to yourself. But it's possible to have a very different experience and. It's possible to do that through pharmacology. It's possible to do that through some kind of crisis, or uh, it's possible to do it through a, a deliberate form of training, like meditation. And, and um, it's—I um, think it's crucial to do it because we all want to be uh, as happy uh, and as fulfilled and as free of pointless suffering as we can possibly be. And there's a—all of our suffering and all of our unhappiness is a product of. Uh, w- how our minds are in every moment. And so if there's a way to use the mind itself to uh, improve one's capacity for, for moment-to-moment well-being, uh, which I'm convinced there is, then it, this should be p- potentially of interest to
3: everybody. So a couple of quick questions on all of those subjects. Uh, so the first the first I'd like to touch on, uh, meditation, uh, I think we can probably touch on this briefly, is something we've discussed before, uh, you along with many other people uh, who are high performers in their respective fields have recommended meditation. So I have been meditating uh, partially, and thanks to your influence uh, for some time now. Uh, is it, is it safe to say that the meditation that you most frequently recommend to novices is Vipassana meditation or is that? Yeah. Dis- okay. Got it. Why, why is that? I mean, I've, I've experimented with a number of different types, of transcendental meditation, uh, Vipassana, of course, and have taken a number of courses. Um, why that selection? Why that? Why well,
4: that yeah, it, ha- it has a few uh, obvious strengths that um, are actually not shared by by any other technique I, I know of. Uh, uh, the first is that it's it doesn't it needn't presuppose any belief about anything. I mean, you don't you don't have to develop a fondness for the iconography of Buddhism. Uh, you don't have to care about the buddha you don't have to believe in rebirth or karma or i mean none of the doctrine of buddhism need be adopted in order to get the practice off the ground and and, and never need be adopted if if uh, it never makes any sense which much of it doesn't you don't have to become a buddhist to do this and you don't have to add anything strategically to your experience as a mechanism by which to meditate so you're not adding a mantra you're not visualizing something that isn't there you don't have to look at a candle flame or 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 do anything to your environment to to uh, by way of artifice to to create the the circumstance of meditation all you're doing is paying exquisitely close and and non-judgmental attention to whatever you're experiencing anyway so and and the, and the first technique you use to to be able to train that capacity is is to focus on your breath, which you always have with you and and is just an easy object to to focus on. but you don't it doesn't even have to be the breath. I mean mindfulness is just that quality of mind which allows you to pay attention to sights and sounds and sensations and and even thoughts themselves uh, without being lost in thought and without without. Grasping at what is pleasant and pushing what is uh, unpleasant away. So just being wide open to the next sensory or emotional experience that comes uh, careening into consciousness. That that is mindfulness. And so in it, it, in some sense, it's not even a practice. It's just it is just the state of not being distracted mm-hmm. and being aware. And and you have to. You, it feels like a practice in the beginning because it's hard to do. We're so deeply conditioned to be lost in thought and to be having this conversation with ourselves from the moment we wake up to the moment we fall asleep where we're just, there's just chatter in the mind and it's so captivating that we're not even aware of it. I mean, we're, we are essentially in a dream state and it's, it's through, it's through this veil of thought that we go about our day and, and perceive our, our, uh, environments but we are just we are just talking to ourselves nonstop, and until you can break that spell and begin to notice thoughts themselves as objects of consciousness, just arising and passing away, you can't even pay attention to your breath or to anything else with any kind of clarity. And so, it's, it, initially, you have to develop some concentration and and get mindfulness tuned up to so that you can you can pay attention. But once you can pay attention, it doesn't matter what you pay attention to. There's nothing in principle that is Outside the meditation practice, It's nothing that's in principle a distraction. There's no, you don't you don't need a quiet environment. You can have loud construction noises going across the street, and that's just as good a circumstance for meditation as, as anything else. And so that's that's the those are the main reasons why I think it's it's the in terms of being designed for export outside of Buddhist culture or religious culture generally, and and. Uh, becoming a tool for our intellectual lives in a secular scientific context i think there's nothing nothing like it what what
3: resources Uh, would you suggest for someone who wants to try to educate themselves or dive in as a novice in terms of books resources websites uh for for mindfulness and meditation
4: yeah, well, I, I give a few on my blog. I, I wrote an article a couple of years ago entitled "How to Meditate," and if mm-hmm. people Google that, they'll they'll see. I, I link to a few books and I tell people where they can go on retreats and and so I, and, I, and I briefly describe the practice. I also have given a couple of guided mindfulness meditations I, I've I've put on uh, SoundCloud, which are on my website as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: So people can and and there are other. Guided meditations out there that people can can use, and, and and in the beginning, people find that very helpful to be to have somebody's voice essentially reminding them to not be lost in thought every few seconds. I, it, it's because what happens in the beginning for people, and this this happened to me in in my practice uh, for at least a at least a year. I think it was a year before I went on intensive retreat, silent retreat. I was just you know sitting for an hour a day or so uh, just on my own as I was 20 or so, and essentially I was just sitting cross-legged and thinking. You know, it, it's it's so hard to notice that you're lost in thought that but, but that by tendency you're just not going to notice it. And and so in the beginning people think they're meditating and they're really just lost in thought. And it wasn't until I did it, my first 10 day. The Posner retreat, where I, I I broke through and and connected with the practice in a way that I, where I realized, wow, that was you know, all of that that has preceded this was really my thinking I was meditating and not meditating, and and there there are other other landmarks along. My journey that are like that where where there was a, it was a shift where I realized wow this what I thought was happening really was not happening uh, as I thought it was, and that's a very common experience and, and and so in the beginning, using a guided meditation can help cut through the chatter in a way that that p- many people can't summon on their own
3: related to cutting kind of through the chatter, people ask me, well, let me take a side step, which is people ask me what blogs do you read, and there really aren't many blogs that I read. Consistently, aside from a handful, uh, and partially, I read your blog uh, and the posts you put up because they're like feature magazine articles in many cases. And there's one you wrote in 2011 called Drugs and the Meaning of Life, um, and you've, mm-hmm. you've written about this subject before. I have found uh, certain hallucinogens in particular to be very therapeutically valuable for cutting through the chatter and sort of turning that off and bringing present state awareness. To you in a very high definition way, uh, when used, uh, you know, responsibly, and of course, you, as you point out in this piece, it's not not to say that everyone should should take psychedelics, but I'd be curious to know uh, that you know one of the lines here. Uh, it, it needs to be read in context, of course. But, you know, I have a, do- a daughter who will one day take drugs. Of course, I'll do everything in my power to see that she chooses her drugs wisely. But a life without drugs is neither foreseeable nor, I think, desirable. And then you, and then you obviously go through sort of the how you might uh, guide her to view these different subjects. And one of the the closing lines in this paragraph is, but if she does not try psychedelic like psilocybin or LSD, at least once in her adult life, I will worry that she may have missed one of the most important rites of passage a human being can experience. And I I agree with this. I'd be curious to hear sort of what particular drugs or psychedelic substances you found most therapeutically valuable in your own life and how you suggest people think about this. Obviously, there are, uh, I mean, putting... You have to put the legal, potential legal ramifications in perspective also. But uh, what have you personally found most valuable and how so?
4: Yeah, um, well, again, you found another paragraph where I was uh, happy to court controversy. um, (laughs) (laughs) Saying that uh, I'll be disappointed if my my daughter doesn't drop acid. Uh, But the... (laughs) So the, the caveat here, and it's the, the caveat comes out several times in that piece, is that yeah, which everybody should you know, read in info. I'm not trying to pull anything out of context. I just don't want to yeah, read yeah, the whole no, thing to them now. <laughs> I, I, I I stand by every word, but there there are a lot of words in there, and and the um, the caveat really is that you know I, ha- I have an increasingly healthy respect for what can go wrong on psychedelics, uh, and wrong in a way that I think has lasting consequences for people and so i mean there's a lot that can go right with psychedelics and and to some degree i think they they they're still indispensable for a lot of people for they they certainly seem to be indispensable for me I, I don't think i ever would have discovered meditation without having taken in particular mdma but you know mdma and mushrooms and lsd all played a role for me in uh, unveiling a an inner landscape that was worth exploring, I mean, but mm-hmm. but but for that, you know, like a pharmacological advantage. I think I was just my my consciousness was such that, you know, I, I looked inside, I saw nothing of interest, and that's sort of the end of the conversation. You, know, you you tell me that there's something profound to witness about the nature of my own mind, I don't see it. You know, I just <laughs> I just want to you know get on with the next thing in the world that seems fun to do or seems. Likely to lead to my success, or it, it, I, I just was, you know, a, a skin encapsulated ego who who was just trying to get on with life and succeed, and thought he was very clever, uh, and didn't have didn't have the contemplative tools to see much of anything when uh, uh, you know he he paid attention, and so that that's the situation that. Many people are in, and many smart people are in are in that position so i I'm constantly meeting scientists and philosophers and highly articulate people who spend a lot of time thinking about the nature of the human mind, and when I talk to them about meditation or really any of these philosophical issues that for which an ability to pay attention to the nature of your own consciousness is an advantage. So it's something like free will or the nature of the self or the possibility of self, self-transcendence. self I'm meeting people who have, as far as I can tell, no ability to notice <laughs> their inner lives. I, it's people who, some of them seem just simply not to have inner lives, but I, they're, they're, these are people who are very much the way I was when I was you know, 18 and before I had uh, had any experience with, with any of this, there's just, you're, you're lost in thought and you don't know it. And that phrase, lost in thought, means nothing to you. And you don't have the tools by which to do anything with it, even if it, if it meant something to you. And there's just nothing. You're, you're, you're cognitively closed to the data. Uh, and the data are uh, are there to be found what the, the most important point of which is the self you think you are is an illusion this this sense of being a self riding around in your head uh this feeling of i this feeling that we everyone calls i uh is an illusion that can that can be disconfirmed in a variety of ways it can be its boundaries can can be transformed in ways, or it can be completely cut through and vanish for for a moment or a minute, or potentially for the rest of one's life. And so, so it, it's it's vulnerable to inquiry, and that inquiry can take many forms. But but the the unique power of psychedelics is that whether or not they I mean this is there, there's a there's a unique power, and there's a unique unique liability. The, the the unique power and liability is that. They are guaranteed to work in some way. And this is a point that Terrence McKenna always made. And right. was, uh, you know, Terrence McKenna was a huge booster of, of psychedelics and a you know, very articulate one. And he, he poo pooed any other spiritual methodology, meditation and uh, you know, chanting and you know, yoga, anything else that, that people brought to him saying, well, can't you, get, you kind of get the same benefit without drugs? And his point was, well, you, you teach someone to meditate, you teach them yoga, they there's no guarantee whatsoever that something's going to happen. You know, they, could, they could spend a week doing it. They could spend a year doing it. Who knows what's going to happen? They may just get bored uh, and they're going to wander away from this thing not knowing that there was a there there. If I give you, you know, five grams of mushrooms or 300 micrograms of LSD and tell you to sit on that couch for an hour, you are guaranteed to have a radical transformation in your experience. It's just, it doesn't matter who you are, This thing, this freight train of of significance is going to come bearing down on you. Uh, and we just have to watch the clock and know it's going to happen. And that's, that's a fact, but the, the, uh, so that's, that's the, the advantage because you're guaranteed to realize at the end of that episode that it is possible to have a radically different experience than you tend to have. And if you have a good experience, you're going to, you're going to realize that, 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 human life can be just unutterably sublime, that it's possible to to feel at home in the universe in a way that you, you couldn't have previously imagined. But if you have a bad experience uh, and the bad experiences are every bit as bad as the good experiences are good, you, you will have just this, this this, this harrowing encounter with madness and, it's 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 you know it's as pathological as any you know lunatic who's who's wandering the streets uh you know raving to himself and completely cut off from others you can have that experience and it, and hopefully it goes away and in you know virtually every case it does go away but it's it's still um it's still rough and it still has uh, has consequences for people um some of the consequences are good I happen to think that 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 it, it it gives you a basis for compassion uh in particular for for you know people who are suffering mental illness that you couldn't otherwise have but you know it's not an experience that I'm eager to have again and so i so i haven't you know my healthy respect for the power of psychedelics has led me to not take many for many years and it's been it's been years since i've taken anything. And my, my use tapered off in my 20s when I when I got into meditation and was spending more time on retreat and fe- beginning to feel that I was getting kind of hitting the center of the bullseye with meditation in a way that I was certainly not guaranteed to with psychedelics that I, I, I basically stopped using everything and and just practice meditation. But th- there's no question that I, I wouldn't have become sufficiently interested in meditation, but for the experiences I had on LSD and and MDMA in particular.
3: To round out this deep dive into meditation, I wanted to relive a conversation that I had with Rain Wilson who is perhaps best known as Dwight on NBC's Emmy award-winning The Office. He shared an incredible insight to a very simple question we all face from time to time. When you feel overwhelmed, what you, what do you do to improve the situation? Um,
0: well, you know, I have a spiritual faith that I rely on that I use. Um, so I use prayer and meditation as tools to center me and bring me back kind of into reality. Um I also find that for me, like acting is a wonderful escape because I um you get out of your own head and you get to go into someone else's head. And you know, it was like that on The Office too and doing comedy, you know, and life was good and life was bad. It was something wonderful about coming to Dwight and I could just put Rain Wilson aside and just all of that bullshit and and clear it out of my head and out of my heart and just be Dwight Schrute. And sometimes it was just just super, super fun uh, to do that. So those are some of the tools. Acting is a tool. Prayer and meditation is a tool I use to kind of, bring myself into the,
3: into the world and your, your faith. I know I'm going to massacre this because I've only read it and not heard it said, but is it Baha'i? Is that correct? Yeah. Baha'i. Baha'i. There we go. Thank you. Hi. How are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I I want to to come back to that, but what does your, when you meditate, what does that look like? And do you do it on a daily basis? What, what's the, 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 the format of that?
0: Yeah. I try and meditate every day. There's no format in the Baha'i faith. It's just greatly encouraged to to meditate. When you pray, you're communing with the creator, you're communing with the universe, uh, you're putting stuff out there. And when you're meditating, you're listening to the universe, but it's really pretty simple. I get a great deal of benefit. If I even do a 10 minute meditation and out of that 10 minutes, if four of the minutes, my mind can be very still and very silent. There's great guided meditations. Now there's apps, there's all kinds of things that you can do for meditation. But for me, it's just about, um, I won't say silencing the mind cause that's impossible. So the mind is those thoughts are always going to pop up, but those thoughts pop up. You just notice them, you identify them, you let them float in front of your eyes, almost like, you know, one of those old fashioned wall street ticker machines. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 you find uh, a tremendous, I find a tremendous amount of peace, uh, serenity and bliss in just being in consciousness and consciousness is not thought consciousness is just being, I am this being, I am not separate from the giant being of earth and the cosmos and the universe. And just being in that stillness, uh, is incredibly rewarding. I get up, I get really, um, a ton of clarity, and I get a ton of energy from it. And these have been proven in scientific studies, by the way, in all kinds of things, from healing trauma to giving you more energy to giving you more focus in your work. It's, uh, meditation is a pretty incredible tool.
3: And uh, lowering cortisol, I've been spending time interacting with some, some researchers at Johns Hopkins, a gentleman named Roland Griffiths, and uh, also a, a gent named Adam Gazalia who runs a neuroimaging lab. At UCSF, and what's what's been very interesting, and we don't have to go down the rabbit hole with this, but it, it appears that when you, if you look at experienced meditators, and brain activity, and I'm I, I'm blanking on the particular area. I think it might be the somewhere in the parietal lobe, but I could be off. In any case, there's a there's a portion of the brain that is thought to contribute to the separation of self and other. So it's associated with, let's just call it the ego. And that is inhibited both in the use of, say, psilocybin, which was found in magic mushrooms, but also you experience a similar type of pattern in experienced meditators, which is kind of cool. And um, Well, I know
0: that they... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I know, I I heard a fascinating thing on the radio once where they did a study and they found the happiest man in the world. So they did a brain scan and they found the the happiest person they could possibly find. And this guy was, I think he was an American, but he was living in Wisconsin, but he was a, he was a, a student of Tibetan Buddhism. And at the time when they did the brain scan, which charted out as, as the very happiest, he was in the process of meditating and it was a meditation of kind of universal compassion, so it's a meditation where you are feeling at one with everyone, and great compassion for everyone on planet Earth, and every and all beings on planet Earth—not human, animal, plant, what they're going through—and in so doing, that achieved like the greatest happiness. That that kind of goes along with what you're saying.
3: No, definitely, and it's—I mean—there is a sort of uh, e- even if you are self-interested, there's a biological benefit to empathy and compassion meditation. So, mm. and, mm. Uh, and I just to reiterate something you said, because I think it's so important, uh, is that, you know, I try to meditate 20 minutes each morning. And, and like you mentioned, there are apps like calm and headspace that are very helpful for this. But even if I'm just violently, violently, excuse me, let me try English again, violently getting punched in the psyche by like my to-do list and worries and anxieties and uh, thoughts for 15 or even 18 minutes out of 20. If I have two minutes where the, the, the mud kind of settles and the, 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 the the mind is clear, it has an incredible impact on the entire day for me. And I
0: feel exactly the same way. That's exactly my experience. Even out of a 10 minute meditation, if I can just get two or three minutes in there where I have almost achieved thoughtlessness Mm -hmm. and just, um, kind of a serene bliss, It's, it's like getting, it's like taking a power nap, you know, and it helps you through your whole day.
3: Definitely. And I had, I think it was Tara Brock who said this to me, but uh, it might've been someone else, but they said the, the, if, if you just come back to your breath or a mantra or whatever it is that you're focusing on, if you're doing concentrated meditation, it's the coming back that is the practice. So if you're just distracted and you're basically just bouncing off the walls mentally with your monkey mind for those 19 minutes, if you come back even once, you can consider it a successful session. I think for type A personalities, mm. that's really important to keep in yeah. mind. You mentioned something I'd, I'd love to explore a little bit, which is that acting can be a wonderful escape. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but from your own head, I was actually watching Amy yesterday, which is a documentary about Amy Winehouse and very, very sad story and tragic on many levels, but she produced some beautiful music from bad experiences. And so she was able to escape her own head by putting these poems, which became songs on paper. Uh, Are there any particular exercises uh, from whether it's acting school or improv or otherwise that you think could benefit non-actors who just want to help create new avenues of thinking or uh, embrace some type of therapeutic effect of getting outside of their own head.
0: Yeah. You know, um, specific ones I suppose I could go into, but I, I studied with a great teacher in, in NYU, uh, uh, named Paul Walker. He's, he's, he died of AIDS, but he was, uh, an, an exquisite, uh, Teacher, And he taught theater games. And for me, that was a real revelation because I had when I had tried acting early on, I was very stiff and very in my head and cerebral and kind of stuck and kind of like it was very conscious. Like, how am I going to say this line? And how do I best look when I'm turning this way? It's just a very self-conscious style of acting that was bad. It was sucky. So what Paul got us doing in acting school at NYU was just playing and there's something incredibly freeing about playing like a kid and that your impulses as an actor and your impulses as a kid at play are really the same thing. Like I said before, it's deeply pretending. So, you know, are there specific exercises? I mean, I suppose I could think of some, but you know, how much fun is it to play red light, green light and, uh, for 20 minutes or duck, duck, goose And then to move from those exercises into more and more imaginative kind of improvisations, but where, where you allow yourself to just play like a child. And sometimes children play and they're competitive. Sometimes they play and they're very serious. Um, it's not all kind of this general, like we kind of stuff. And I found that so freeing. And it was the, It was the key for me as an actor that kind of broke me open and got me out of my head and just got me in my body and in that place of kind of pure imagination and spontaneity that you really want as an actor.
3: Mm -hmm. And, And I think it seems to me also when you put yourself in that place, much like meditation, you have to be present state aware. You can't be worrying about something that you have scheduled two weeks in the future or yeah. resenting something like you know, somebody had to cut you off in traffic that morning. You have to be in that moment and be effective and to have fun. You just can't be distracted by those things.
0: Yeah. Like we'll do a thing where you, I just remembered cause I did it recently at soul pancake. I did some sessions with the, with the employees at soul pancake. I do kind of games and improv stuff where, um, everyone has a number from one to 10. There's two teams of 10 on each side of the room. There's a stool in the center of the room with a shoe on it. The goal is you've got to get the shoe and then get back to your place in line, right? It's pretty simple game, but then you also do this game called sexy nostril. You write down (laughs) adjectives and you write down body parts. So it could be angry, sad, lonely, um, energetic. Those are the adjectives and then body parts, you know, Earlobe, testicle, anus, shoulder, blade, you know, fingernail, whatever. And you draw one of each. And then you try and play a game manifesting those characteristics. So if you have sex nostril, <laughs> and then you have to play that same game of getting the shoe and getting back in line, but you're a person. Where their center of their energy is in their nostril, and it's a very sensual, sexual energy, and you're just kind of—it helps you create a character and play as that character, and it's—it takes you out of your head and it just gets you in your body and gets you kind of feeling and responding. And uh, I love teaching that stuff. Uh, It's it's uh, it's super fun. And for me, Tim, I'm in my head a lot, and it kind of sucks. So there's certain tools. That I have to use to get by. So I've learned, uh, in my life, I don't remember every day, but there's certain things I have to do to just be out of my head and, and just to get to normal. I'm not talking about like being like really super effective. Uh, just to get to normal, I have to do meditation. I have to do some exercise. Um, if I, if I can get into nature, great. If I could play some tennis better and acting is that same way, acting, rehearsing. Uh, playing characters these are the things that get me out of my head and out of just analyzing every goddamn thing that that comes down the pike and leaves me miserable and making really bad choices
3: well there you have it folks My first episode of the Tim Ferriss Radio Hour with some of the superstars, some of the experts that I've spoken to over the past few years, and this is an experiment. As I said at the top of the show, I want to know what did you like, what did you not like, how could it be improved, do you want more of these, or should we just skip it? That's totally fair as well. What topics would you like me to most explore or consolidate? What types of patterns? In other words, I just want your feedback, so please let me know what did you like, what didn't you like, what should I do more of, less of, and you can ping me on Twitter at tferris T-F-E-R-R-I-S-S, or on the blog at 4 com forward slash blog. If you're a Facebooker, you love the Facebooks, you could go to facebook.com forward slash Tim Ferris with two R's and two S's, but generally speaking, Twitter is going to be the best means of communication for now at t-f-e-r-r-i-s-s so please let me know your thoughts and as always and until next time thank you for listening this episode is brought to you by four sigmatic i reached out to these finnish entrepreneurs after a very talented acrobat introduced me to one of their products which blew my mind in the best way possible it is mushroom coffee what on earth is this well it includes chaga mushroom very powerful antioxidant, considered a superfood. I was introduced to chaga by Laird Hamilton, the king of big wave surfing of all things, and it includes another mushroom that is considered a nootropic, a smart drug, and this is lion's mane. In the entire packet, you just add it to hot water. It tastes like coffee. There is only forty milligrams of caffeine, so less than half what you would find in a cup of coffee. So I do not get any jitters. I do not get any acid reflux or any type of stomach burn. And it put me on fire for an entire day. And I only had half of the packet. So this stuff is really amazing. People are always asking me what I use for cognitive enhancement right now. This is the answer. So it is legal. It will not give you visuals. That's something else. And you can try it right now. By going to Forsigmatic.com forward slash Tim. That is foursigmatic, S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C, S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C Forsigmatic.com forward slash Tim. And use the code Tim to get 20% off your first order. If you are in the experimental mindset, I do not think you'll be disappointed. Forsigmatic.com forward slash Tim. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by 99designs. 99designs is a great partner for creating and growing your business. It's a one-stop shop for all of your graphic design needs, whether that's a logo, website, business card, or anything else. I use 99designs to get book cover prototypes for The 4-Hour Body, which went on to become a number one New York Times bestseller. I also use them for banner ads, illustrations, and other things. With 99designs, designers around the world compete to create the best design for you. You give feedback and then pick your favorite. You end up happy or you get your money back. It's very simple. You can check out a few of my own designs and those of yours, meaning Tim Ferriss show listeners at 99designs.com forward slash Tim. And right now my listeners, you guys will get a free $99 upgrade on your first design. That's 99designs.com forward slash Tim. Check it out.